Hey, welcome fellow travelers. This is Monty and welcome to my podcast. I am so glad you are with me as uh, we'll be digging into episode 10 today. We're going to be looking at a word that is the most powerful word that we have to describe the kind of life that makes a difference. But before we get into episode 10, I just I want to take a moment and pause and breathe with all of you because it's been a while since I uh, did my last podcast because I've been uh, in Turkey and in Greece. Um, had a group of about people, a uh, group of about 30 people. See, I can't even talk right now. I had a group of about 30 people and uh, we saw so many sites in Turkey and Greece. And also a little preview, uh, this group got a pre-release copy of my next book that's coming out this fall called Rescuing Revelation. So keep tuning in and paying attention for when I start to uh, let people know when that book is going to be ready. But this group got the pre-release copy and I gotta tell you, it was just, it was just so cool to be able to stand in the cave on the island of Patmos uh, that is attributed to being the place where the Apostle John was in exile and where he lived when he received what we call the book of Revelation. It's the very last book in the Bible. And it's John receiving all of this amazing vision uh, to inspire the seven churches of Asia Minor that are listed in the book and, and also talk about what's coming next. So to be in that space, in that place was, was just for me, it was a gift. Also, the day before that, we were in the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus. Uh, you know, a, a quick sailing through the uh, the Aegean Sea. We hit uh, Mycenae, Crete. We hit uh, uh, Mykonos, Santorini. Uh, so many places there. Uh, Athens, Corinth, Thessaloniki or Thessalonica, if you're an American. Uh, Berea. Uh, so many great places and the the place we visited was uh, the ancient ruins of the city of Philippi, where on Paul's second missionary journey, where he ends up, uh, he wants to go back to Asia, but uh, the Holy Spirit won't let him go. And so he ends up going to Europe. He goes to the this thriving city of Philippi, and he meets a woman down by the water, holding and organizing a prayer meeting, and her name was Lydia. She uh, uh, encounters Jesus through the Apostle Paul, and, and she is baptized there. And so, got to actually do a baptism in that little river stream where uh, Lydia was. So, just a great trip. And so, uh, now that I am back, uh, I have some interviews coming up in the next few weeks, which uh, I'll give you more heads up about, but they're going to be amazing. Uh, and uh, I'll be talking more and more about my book, Rescuing uh, Revelation. What I love about this book is it's it's just shy about 400 pages, but it's really, really readable. I see it as a companion guide 
kind of freeing people from um, maybe the left behind mentality of end times uh, that uh, our culture seems to have embraced since the uh, 1850s. Uh, So it really allows the letter of Revelation to speak for itself without being condensed into one theological box or one eschatological box. Eschatological, that, that's just a fancy theological word for end times. Uh, instead of putting into the box of the camps that want to own the letter of Revelation, I think the best thing we can do is let it breathe and let it teach us and let it and let it confound us and and let it challenge us and let it inspire us and and let it birth in us the message of solidarity in pain and suffering yet knowing there's an ultimate victory because Jesus is coming back. So anyway, I'm really excited about uh, getting into that with you. But today, all right, are you ready for today? Episode 10, this word. Now, this word is an interesting word. And for me, it is the word that best defines who Jesus is. It's a word to me that best defines the way I I should live or I should be asking Holy Spirit to help me live if I want to be more like Christ in the world. It's a word that's a cool word and it's hard to pronounce. So, okay, are you ready for the word? (laughs) The word is splonknitsomai. All right, say it with me. Are you ready? Splonknitsomai. Splonknitsomai. Uh, roughly and loosely translated, it means compassion. We see over and over in the gospel accounts that Jesus had compassion, but compassion sells Splonknitsomai short. Splonknitsomai, uh, it really, uh, it really talks more about like the gut punch it's the uh, it's the it's the, the that compassion that comes from your stomach that when you see something wrong or someone wronged or someone hurt or someone abandoned or someone dissed in such a way or maybe someone hungry someone homeless maybe someone who's just lost absolutely everything and your heart just goes out to them and you feel it you feel it not just in your heart. It's deeper than that. You feel it in your stomach. It, it, the root of, is, of the word is splankna, and it, it really means the gut or the internal organs. And it's, uh, I guess it's, it's one way to put it is just to say your, your gut is just torn up. I know you have been there. Uh, your gut was just torn up over someone or something it was beyond your it was beyond your mind it's it's really when your gut reaches this level of compassion or splunk need so am I it's it's a journey into suffering because to feel like that <laughs> to feel like that is to suffer 
And it's this invitation to allow the suffering of compassion to overwhelm your mind and your heart and your soul. And it moves us to action because splonknitsomai is a verb. Now, I want to spend a little time telling you some of my favorite stories of Jesus and splonknitsomai that I believe will actually even help us get a, a better handle on it. But as we enter into these stories, uh, what, what I see in this, uh, this word compassion or splonknitsomai that's evident in the movement of Jesus and his daily living is that it really is reminding me that the heart of God is moved by the pain of humanity. Did you did you catch that? That the heart of God is moved by the pain of humanity. A world turned upside down, a people that are hopeless. All of these things, all of these things move the heart of God when we step into pain. So part of our journey is to be able to enter into compassion, which means we have to be willing to enter into suffering, which means we have to be willing to enter into holding pain. And I think if we can grasp that, it's not going to make you more like God. It will make you more human. Because Jesus, we have to remember, is 100% human. So we look to him to learn what it means to be human. And, and this word, splonknitsomai, seems to be his leading card everywhere we go. So as we, I just look at some stories. I, I want to bring the word out. I want to talk through some of these stories. They're just, they're just inspiring and they're good. We'll spend a little bit of time in Matthew and a little bit of time in Luke. But in Matthew 9, the first time we really see Splunknitsomai come up, it's Jesus has been on a whirlwind healing tour. <laughs> um, he's calling his disciples. He's healing people in response to faith. He's healed, uh, he's healed some, uh, some blindness. And then at the end of chapter 9, he's traveling through all of the towns and the villages He's going to the synagogues and he's teaching about who God is and the heart of God. And he's announcing the good news about the kingdom. So what's the good news about the kingdom? Well, in Jesus' words, he goes back to Isaiah and he says, guess what? The blind see, uh, the lame walk, the poor are helped. The prisoner is freed. Jubilee has been given to everyone. And there's grace and forgiveness in this new kingdom. And the kingdom, when it's announced, is always followed by what it's going to look like. Jesus says, awesome, the new, this, the kingdom of God is here. It's around you. It's near you. It's in you. And then you read what he does next, because what he does is the revelation of what the kingdom is supposed to be. And I don't know about you, but it just inspires me. So at the very end of chapter 9 of Matthew, after he's touring around and he's saying, here's the good news about the kingdom, the next breath. It says, so he healed 
every kind of disease. He healed every illness. And then when he saw the crowds of people, he had splanknizomai. He had compassion. He had splanknizomai on them because they were confused and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Can you, can you enter into that story? Because we focus on so many of these stories about Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you not to do today as we look at a couple of stories. Don't get focused on the miracle. The miracles of Jesus were done to point to something even greater, and that's who God is. What Jesus is doing by healing every disease and healing every illness, proclaiming that this new kingdom, uh, this new covenant kingdom is, is finally here, is he's telling you about who God is. So when he saw the crowds, he had a gut punch. His gut was torn up. And he had compassion. And compassion moved him because it's a verb. And as he looks, he goes, man, they are so confused and they're so helpless. They're just like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the good news is that was so long ago, right? There are no people in your life or in my life who are confused about anything or helpless, just wandering around or being blown about like a styrofoam cup in the wind, right? Everyone's got it dialed in today. No. Man, so many confused. So many helpless, not knowing where to go and what to do. And that just plays itself out in in brokenness and pain and addictions and and crushed relationships. But you need to know, so Jesus sees that. And when he sees us in those broken places, he doesn't go, ah, what a lost cause. What happens is because he is compassion and love, he moves to the verb of splunknitsomai, and he has to do something. One of the things he does next, even in this, in, this, uh, in this story, is he says to his new followers, hey, there are so many people lost and confused, that, uh, but there's not enough of us. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's pray to the Father. who He's the one who's in charge of making sure everyone meets him. Ask him to send more workers out into his field. Now, a few chapters later, in chapter 14, we have a story most of you have probably all heard about, and it's when Jesus feeds the 5,000 on the hillside. Um, We know 5,000 is a conservative number because they only counted men back then. But so there's probably, you know, minimally 10,000, probably 15,000. If the kids were in there, there with the family, then there's probably 15 or 20,000. And that shaking, that was my son's dog, Romeo, who's helping me in the studio (laughs) today. Anyway, probably 15 to 20,000 people. And uh, Jesus has just had this... I mean, a very painful moment of his own. His cousin, John the Baptist, had been captured by Herod, King Herod. And he ends up at this dinner party being hoodwinked into executing John the Baptist. He cuts his head off, has his head delivered on a silver platter, and then later Jesus receives the news from John's followers They came, they got John's body, they buried it, they told Jesus what had happened. And when Jesus heard the news, he got in a boat, 
because he had to process the pain. He had to sit with the suffering. He had to sit with the loss. He, so he got in a boat and he went to a remote area. He just needed to be alone and process. But when the crowds, whom he loved, when they heard that he was headed, they followed him on foot and uh, they, they end up seeing the crowd following him. And they actually get to the other side of the lake before he does on the boat. So he gets off the boat and it says he had splunk nitsomai. And he healed all their sick. Now that is something. He's, he's emotionally wrecked. And yet you would think, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes when I'm emotionally just spent and emotionally drained and emotionally wrecked and it's like I can't handle one more sad story. Uh, the last thing I want to do is encounter a group of people and start healing and teaching, right? It's like, but, but Jesus, this Splunk Nitzomai is so infused into the fabric of who he is that he gets off the boat instead of going, whoa, time out. I'm, I'm taking a break. I need some process time. He had compassion and he healed them. And then... Right after that, he's going, oh, there's so, there's so many of them, and it's getting so late, we should probably feed them. So everyone is fed that day, and as we know in the story, there's extra food left over. Is the point of the story about multiplying miraculously bread, or is the point of the story that the God who sees our pain and enters into our pain always responds to our suffering and our pain, because compassion is the heartbeat of who God is, as revealed in Jesus. You flip another chapter, and there's another group of people, 4,000 people this time versus 5,000 people, uh, but it's the, it's the same thing. Jesus sees all of these people, and he says, I have compassion for these people. They've been here with me for three days. They have nothing left to eat. I, I don't want to send them away hungry, or they'll get faint along the way. And again, we have this miraculous uh, multiplication of fish and bread. But what starts it? compassion. When you get to Matthew chapter 18, there's this interesting parable about this unforgiving debtor. Peter comes to Jesus. I love it. It starts with a conversation about uh, forgiveness. Lord, he says, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? (laughs) You've heard this one, right? Well, so why does Peter... uh, isn't that interesting? Why does he come up with seven? Why didn't he say, how many times should I forgive them, period, right? But he gives a number. How many times, Jesus, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So what's happening here is Peter's posturing. Because uh, many of the rabbis taught that to forgive someone, you forgave them three times. And after the third time, you're just done with them. If they blow it after three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore. And so what Peter's doing is he's doubling it. And of course, the number seven in the Bible also has another deeper significant meaning. Seven is the number of completeness. 
It's the number of wholeness. You see that number well all over the book of Revelation, but that's for another podcast. Uh, the seven days of creation, you know, the seven days in our week, uh, taking a Sabbath. And, you know, there's this all of these things around seven. So seven is perfection. Six is man's number because it's one number short of seven, which is perfection. So man is less than perfect. And so what Peter's saying is, you know, I'm thinking seven, I'm going to like more than double. I'll go to that, that whole number of perfection. So seven times, Jesus, if I'm forgiven seven times am I in, I think he was expecting like this, oh, Peter, you are so amazing. You have hit it on the head. I'm sending you on a trip to Tahiti. All expenses paid. You are so holy. (laughs) But Jesus has a different response. He says, "Uh, no, not seven times. I tell you, how about 70 times seven? That's a lot. What Jesus is saying, yeah, Peter, we always forgive. And Jesus says, let me explain it to you this way. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to like there's a king. He decides to bring his accounts up to date with all of the servants who had borrowed money from him. So he's, he's got the ledger out. All right, it's time to get all the cash that people owe me. So in the process of looking at the books... One of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. In the Greek, the word that we, we use there, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like this is just an unrepayable sum of money. Millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So he's like, all right, if you can't pay the debt, I'm taking it all. The man in that moment fell down on his hands and on his knees before the master. He begs him. He says, please be patient with me. I'll repay it all. Both the man and the master knew he couldn't. But there was something in the transformation of this man as he just hits the end of his rope and falls to the bottom. Just be patient. I'll figure it out. I'll figure something out. Whatever happened in that moment, the master who seemed pretty callous before that is transformed. He was filmed with compassion and and he released him. And he forgave all of the millions. So God is the God that we owe him so much and we have blown it so often. And, and, and that he, he should take everything from us, but he doesn't. When we come before him honestly, as we are, not painted white fence houses where we pretend to have it all together, but we just come in all of our brokenness and all of our pain and all of our suffering. That moves the heart of God. What's also interesting in this story is Jesus reveals how intuitive he is to the human condition. 
Because the man who's just been re, been forgiven the debt that he could never repay, he leaves. Then he goes and finds someone who owes him just a few thousand dollars, small potatoes compared to what the master just forgave him. And he doesn't have to pay it back, right? And, but this guy grabs the guy who owes him a couple grand, grabs him by the throat, and he demands instant payment. That servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. He, he says the same thing the other guy did. Please be patient with me and I'll, I'll, I'll repay it. But this man wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested. He had him put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Oh, and some of the other people saw this. They were upset. They went to the king or the, the master. They told him everything that had happened. And the, the king called him in. He said, wow, how evil are you? I moved towards you with compassion. I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your servant uh, the same way I had mercy on you? And so the master was moved with Splunk Nitzomai. Jesus is moved with Splunk Nitzomai. But there are two stories that are probably the capstone stories of all of Jesus' teaching. And they're great stories. The next one is uh, Luke chapter 10. And we call it the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and we get, again, as we so often when we preach this text or someone teaches on it, we focus on all of the small things rather than what's the big thing. Uh, in, uh, in Luke 10, uh, Jesus has been dealing with a guy uh, who's kind of like Peter. He's, he's an expert in the religious law, and he's trying to uh, ask Jesus questions so that he ends up looking good the way Peter was, right? He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> Jesus replies, so what does Torah say? What does the law of Moses say? And then he says this interesting line, how do you read it? I think we should do a podcast just on that line. Jesus says, what does the Bible say, or Torah, the Hebrew, the Hebrew uh, first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call that the Pentateuch or the Torah, the law given to Moses, right? And uh, he says, so what does Torah say? And then how do you interpret it? How do you? <laughs> and this is one of the things, because I hear all the time today, so many people saying, you know, well, you know, I'm reading the Bible and it says this. And they end up using the Bible to beat people, to wound people, to maim people, to hurt people, to exclude people, to to make themselves look bigger and better and badder than everybody else. And they are reading it wrong. (laughs) Jesus says, you might know what it says, but you don't know what it means. He says, how do you read it to this guy? Well, the guy answers, well, as I read it, what I need to do to inherit eternal life is I need to love the Lord my God with all your heart, with all your uh, soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right on. You know, go do that, man, (laughs) and you're going to live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asks Jesus a question. And the, the question, I was going to lead to another story. 
And it's going to lead us to another revelation about compassion. The man had said, okay, so I love God and I love my neighbor. Jesus says, yep. (laughs) So now he needs to clarify, okay, so who is my neighbor then? Jesus says, oh, there was a Jewish man. He was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he gets attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead right beside the road. They just did a, did a job to this guy. And there just happened, by chance, a priest came along, uh, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. He passed him by. Then in the next breath, a a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, (laughs) scratches his head. Then he also passes by on the other side of the road. Neither, they they see the dude, they're they're not going to, they're not going to help him. And this is, then a despised Samaritan because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the Jewish man who had been robbed and beaten and, and left for dead, when, he, when, the, when the enemy comes along and sees the man, he felt what? Splunk needs, oh my, for him. So he goes over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He takes him to an inn and he took care of him. Splanknitsomai is a verb. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins and he said, Hey, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll, I'll pay you the next time. That I'm here, Jesus ends the story with the mic drop now. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? (laughs) Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yeah, do that. How do I inherit the kingdom? How do I inherit eternal life? Live a life marked by the dynamism of Splanknitsomai, that God births in us when we give Him our lives. When we give Jesus our lives, God takes up residence in our soul. And if God is in our soul, that means that the core center of our being is the very essence of Splanknitsomai. But Splanknitsomai isn't just feeling bad for someone like, oh, that poor person. That's what the priest and then the Levite did. Oh, poor guy. Bad day. I, I gotta go. I've got temple duty, or I gotta get the sound system ready for the shofar band tonight when the sacrifice happens. It's like, ah. Plus, if I touch him and he's bleeding, then I'm unclean. I can't do my job. You know, we justify. We might feel sad or we might feel bad, but we don't move to compassion because to move to compassion is a shipwrecking of our soul that takes us into the depths of suffering and pain that naturally becomes an action because compassion is a verb. Compassion is a verb. Well, the 
Good Samaritan story rocked the hearers in Jesus' world, but the uh, the last story that rocked Jesus here is probably the story he told the most, because the Good Samaritan is Jesus saying, "You know who my father is 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 like this person that's disconnected from you." But but he sees your pain and he stops, even though you're not of the same tribe. Even though you might be on opposite sides of the fence, God the Father is a fence jumper. He jumps the gaps and the barriers that we create to care for those who need his love because Splunk Nitzomai is in his soul. This last one, in Luke 15, we see there's three parables that go bang, bang, bang. The parable of the lost sheep. You know, the shepherd goes and he finds the one. He leaves the 99 found sheep. He goes to find the one that's missing. And then it's a parable of the lost coin. A woman, she has 10 silver coins and loses one. And she just like shreds the house to, to find the coin. And she rejoices when she finds the coin the same way the shepherd rejoices when the one sheep is found, even though the 99 were already there. And then he goes right into the parable of the lost son. It's it's as trying to make his point even deeper. Jesus says, a man has two sons. The younger son says to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. In other words, he's saying, dad, you mean more to me dead than alive. I'd rather have the money you can give me than the life we can have together. His father agrees. He divides his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed everything and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. (laughs) About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. So he persuades a local farmer to hire him. A man sends him into the fields to feed the pigs. You know, as Jews are not supposed to eat pigs, this is getting to the lowest of the low for him. But he, he has even a little bit lower to go. He's feeding the pigs, but he also became so hungry and he had no food that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. So he's feeding pigs and he's eating pig food because he's spent the inheritance. There comes a point he hits bottom. He comes to his senses. He says to himself, you know what? Back home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare. Here I am. I'm just starving out here. I think I'll go home. And he thinks about it. I think I will go home. I'm going to go to my dad. And I'm going to say, hey, dad, I know I sinned against both heaven and you. I know I'm not worthy of being called your son, but I'm not expecting anything. But could I just simply get a job working for you because you took great care of our servants? So there's his plan. He's going to try to earn something back, right? Because he's blown it. He heads home to his father. And I love this. And while the sun was way off, way off in the distance, his father saw him coming. Why? Because our father, God, is always looking for his sons and daughters to return. It says he sees him coming a long way off 
and he is filled with love and compassion. He is filled with Splunk Nietzomai, and since it's a verb, he's going to move. So he runs to his son. He embraces him. He kisses him. And you know, the son's clothes stink, and they're ripped and tattered and torn. And this son has made a fool of his father, yet the father runs through the community to embrace his son so they can say nothing negative about him. And the son starts his speech. Dad, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts in, quiets him down. He says, quick, (laughs) hey, would you guys go get the finest robe in my house and put it on my boy? Go Go get the ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. And you know what? That fatted calf we've been saving for for a special occasion, let's go kill that because we're going to celebrate today with a feast for this son of mine who has just been dead and gone. He's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Oh, At our dirtiest, at our ugliest, at our most pain-filled moments, at the, the moments where we are doing it not so good, when we simply and honestly and humbly come back before God and say, hey, will you take me back? Man, he's already got the party going for us in the back room. Now, the sad thing was, you know, the son was always his son. Just because he was feeding pigs doesn't mean he was a son, but he was disconnected from the beauty of the father. So he, through really what's happening here is repentance and confession, he comes back in alignment with the father to receive the compassion that is always, 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 always there. I think the saddest portion is like what happens in the rest of that story. It's the older brother. He sees his younger brother coming back. He hears music and dancing. The party's going on in the house. And he asked what's going on. And they said, your brother's back. And your father's filled the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. He gets so pissed. <laughs> he wouldn't go into the party. So the father has compassion for him too. He comes out and begs him, come into the party. Uh, but he was so angry at the compassion and the grace extended to his brother. He says, all the years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. That's a little insight into his motivation for serving. It wasn't out of love. He says, all that time you never gave me even one goat for a feast from my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. He is just livid. On the Enneagram, I'm thinking the older brother was probably the one, the reformer. There's a right way to do things. There's a wrong way to do things. And my brother did things the wrong way, and I just can't allow that into my world. But the father still compassionately speaking to his other son. He goes, look, dear son, you know, you have always stayed by me. And you know what? Everything that I have is yours. In other words, you could have had that anytime you wanted. But your heart attitude was off. 
you were as lost as your brother, (laughs) is really what he's saying. We said, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And those three quick short stories in Luke 15, what Jesus is trying to tell us about his, his dad is, can you guys believe how cool my dad is? He wants to party when you've come back from your prodigal journey. He wants to have a celebration when the lostness is found. He wants to throw the world's greatest gala when the exodus from Egypt into the promised land happens in our lives. Why? Because he has compassion for everyone who finds themselves lost in a distant land, feeding the pigs and eating their slop. It's like, wow, right? Man, do you ever think, do you ever think (laughs) about God thinking about you? Or you just think about God, say your prayers, try to get your doctrine of theology squared. Right now, could you, would you just pause and think about God thinking about you? looking for you a long ways off with love and compassion, not only in his eyes, but in his heart. God thinks about you. This is the truth of the good news of the kingdom Jesus was preaching. The God who was distant, the God who you owed such great debt to, The God that you took advantage of is thinking about you. And his gut, his gut's been hit with compassion. And he longs to love you fully. (laughs) Do you ever consider that he sees you? And when he sees you, he just has compassion on your story. Everything about your story. (laughs) I think that's what I love about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The narrators of those four Gospel stories. You see, they weren't just trying to give us the historical facts and events and the happenings of Jesus. They were... They were retelling the stories of Jesus that best revealed who God is and what this new kingdom is like, what the new yoke or the new teaching of Jesus was, and what life, what life is supposed to be lived like as a human being, which opens us up more and more to the divine. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was a, a German pastor who was imprisoned during the, uh, the Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II. From prison, he writes this, and I think this is, this is pretty profound. He says, uh, We must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Let me read that again. We must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do, or what they do or don't do. And we need to regard them more in light of what they 
suffer because suffering invites us into a journey. And we need to allow those feelings. And when we move there, that's when the compassion in our soul is lit up. And I think through all of these stories, the miracles, the movement of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the healings, the multiplication of bread. Um, there's, another, there's another story in, in Luke 2 on when Jesus heals uh, the widow's son in the, in the town of Nain. And again, compassion, splachnitzomai is at the core. I think maybe the biggest miracle that the narrators of the Gospels are trying to help us see it's not, it's not necessarily in the dead brought back to life or that one loaf of bread can miraculously feed thousands. But the verb that launches all of those events, there's something that happens before those events, and that's that God is compassionate. Ah, I think when we're fully present to the moment, fully present to the pain and the suffering of others and ourselves, and we stop running from it, or we stop trying to numb ourselves from it, or we stop trying to medicate our way out of the pain and the suffering, when we are finally, I guess the word, we would just be fully present to the pain and the suffering in our own lives, and then, then we respond to each other, and then we respond to every situation from our gut <laughs> in a life-giving way. That's when humanity starts to shine. That's when the compassion of Christ is birthed in us because we're supposed to live that way by default now because we have been given new life. So anyway, there's splonknitsomai for you today. And uh, man, I pray maybe you'd ruminate on some of those questions. Think this week about God thinking about you. Consider that he sees you and he has compassion for you. And can I challenge you not to numb out or medicate out or to avoid or to minimize pain, but to enter into the suffering, entering into that journey because it will take you deeper into the heartbeat of compassion or splock need so my. All right. Well, hey, I will talk to you later don't forget hey follow me if you can hey if you could give me a like on the podcast subscribe on itunes or at podbean uh where you are getting this download from um if you could like the podcast share it that would help me out a ton also you can follow me on twitter um and that's my handle is mc right m-c-w-r-i-g-h-t that's my twitter handle same thing for instagram same thing for facebook would love to connect with you on as many platforms as possible but for now you guys all have an amazing day and may it be filled and full of god's amazing compassion